You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. Thanks for joining us again this week. And a quick reminder, if you want to listen to this show and past shows, you can find us at www.snarkyfaith.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and pretty much anywhere you want to find podcasts. Just look up Snarky Faith. And also, I want to tell you this, this new little feature we're kind of trying out here. It's called the Snarky Hotline. And the Snarky Hotline is 919-525-1570. If you want to call and leave your message, share your thoughts, share your opinions, call me a heretic, I don't care. You can tell me I'm great, you can tell me I'm horrible, most likely it's going to end up on the air either way, so I'm essentially just giving you a blank check to be on the air. Um, so yes, again, that number is 919-525-1570, leave a message, and hopefully we'll hear from it. And if you are a listener, a regular listener from Snarky Faith, you know that we start off every show with our batch of this week's version of Christian Crazy in the News. And this week is no different, but this week we're going to be running fast because we've got a lot to talk about. Our main story this week is going to be about some of the reasons why the American church is broken and can't be fixed. But before we get to that, I've got to give you what you came here for, your Christian Crazy of the Week. Here we go. So first up, if you've been living under a rock, you may not know this, but there's wildfires in California. And sometimes some people may ask the question, why do we have wildfires in California? Well, I think we have an answer. It's not a good answer, but it's an answer nonetheless. And that answer is brought to you by far-right anti-LGB pastor Kevin Swanson. Yay, Kevin! Thank you for giving us an answer. And as of this week, most of the Christian crazy is coming to you via deadstate.org. So thank you, Deadstate, for providing a lot of Christian crazy for me this week. But Kevin, what are your thoughts on the California wildfires. If you look at the history of California, they've been at the forefront of this. Back in 1850, you know, a common law statute was installed in the territory of California, providing for the legalization of uh, sodomy and setting the penalty at five years to life in prison. Uh, But the first gay pride march occurred in San Francisco in 1970, and then San Francisco legitimized homosexuality in 1972. In 1982, Laguna Beach, California, elected the first openly homosexual mayor in United States history. In 1999, California adopted a domestic partnership law. I believe it was one of the first in the nation to do that. In 2005, California state legislators became the first in the nation to pass the same-sex marriage law. Sorry to cut you off, Kevin. There's only so much bigoted hate that I can contain in the Christian crazy of the week. So, essentially, Kevin, you're telling us that what? What? The wildfires are due 
do homosexuality? Wait, so somehow they sparked the fires that are raging and destroying a lot of California houses, homes, people, all that stuff? Really? So gay sex caused all of this. Thanks. Thanks for your report. Thanks for checking in, Kevin, because that makes no sense, and you're crazy. But welcome to the Christian Crazy of the Week. I will give you the fact that humans cause 95% of all wildfires in California, but it's not the LGBT community. It's people that actually light fires, you know, like morons and arsons. Yeah, those people. So let's not try to over-spiritualize this thing, especially one that's devastating people's lives. Thank you very much. Next, well, if you've thought the wildfires were bad enough, you really now, right now, like right now, need to listen to Mark Taylor. Why should you listen to Mark Taylor? Well, of course, he's a self-described prophet. So yeah, you should listen to him. Number two, he's a frequent on the Jim Baker show. So why not listen to him? Because if you thought the wildfires were bad, this, this, this is way worse. If you believe in things like QAnon and other bits of insane theory. Right now, underground's being exposed as well. Uh, the underground child sacrifices, the, the, the sex trafficking rings. Where's that stuff taking place at, Sam? Underground, in the tunnels. I mean, literally all this stuff's being exposed. Look at Jeffrey Epstein Island. They're finding all the – he was spending $18 million to fill in those tunnels. Why? Because they had underground tunnels where they were doing the child sacrifice. They were having a dining room where they had cannibalism going mm -hmm. on. It's all going on underground. Now, the Lord showed me something. Why is it going on underground? Because, number one, they don't have any resistance underground. And, number two, they're closer to the entities digging down that they're trying to invoke. So, Prophet Mark Taylor, you're telling us that the evil in the United States right now is happening in tunnels underground, and there's child sacrifice and cannibalism happening because when we pray, we pray above ground and evil is below ground. I'm not sure you really understand the fundamentals of geology unless you're really trying to say right now that fossil fuels are evil. Maybe they are. <laughs> Wait, they're killing our planet? Oh, you're right. He is a prophet. So underground where the coal and the natural gas and petroleum is, that's where the evil is happening. And also child sacrifices and cannibalism. Because of course, of course. Thank you, Mark, for continuing Christianity's weird, weird, weird turn down. Conspiracy theories that make no logical sense to anyone besides people that want to listen to conspiracy theories theories that make no logical sense to anyone got it check all right so next the grandfather the big daddy of crazy christian you know it happens on almost a weekly basis i love him i love to rip on him jim baker here you go here you go church people many of them don't like trump wait what jim said something true what 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 Let's hear it again. Church people, many of them don't like Trump. 
No, Jim, you dirty rascal. I've told you to leave our foreplay off the air. You actually said something true in isolation. That shows growth in our relationship, but I've got no time for that, boo. We've got more important stuff than your BS. So as all of you know, we do the crazy Christian thing because it's fun. It's really fun to kind of pour through different news stories and find out those nutty outliers that kind of speak loudly and make the rest of the tribe look like morons. But what I want to begin to focus on today, which will kind of revolve around a very weird nebulous of our conversation, and and I want to step more into the mainstream of American Christianity. I mean, the people like the Jim Bakers and the other crackpots, those guys are on the edges, though they do have TV programs on networks. But, you know, those are the nutter butters. Let's hop in and talk around what is centrally messed up within Christianity? And I'm going to do this based upon several different articles I found. And we're going to kind of move it towards a larger narrative and a larger issue that that is plaguing American Christianity. So I want to start out with something that's going to initially feel a little abstract as we're getting in line to talk about deeper issues within Christianity. It's going to feel a little abstract at first, but run with me, and hopefully it will only be abstract for a moment. (laughs) No guarantees. So that being said, our first article is from the Missio Alliance, missioalliance.org, and it's an article that came out recently called Seven Questions All Pastors Need to Ask Themselves Post-Hybels. This article is by Rich... Belodius? Belodius? Uh, either way, Rich, I apologize for butchering your last name. And I'm also going to apologize because <laughs> this segment is going to seem like I'm ripping on what you're saying. And I'm actually not. Um, actually, Rich has seven questions that all pastors need to ask themselves post highballs. Now, um, I'm actually not going to be ripping on what Rich is saying, but I feel like what Rich is saying shows a larger symptom that is one of the cancers that we have within Christianity, that being the fact that we don't know how to look at ourselves clearly and honestly in the mirror. Now, what he's talking about, and for those that do not know this, who aren't kind of in that realm of Christendom, um, when he's saying all of this, what he's beginning to speak about here, and I'll just give you a little bit of background context. So he's talking about Bill Hybels. Bill Hybels, the founder of Willow Creek Church, which is just mega to the mega church type of a thing. Bill Hybels was also known as just kind of a leader amongst Christians that also was like a leader amongst leaders um, in the secular and business world too. He was one of those that was a major part of the Global Leadership Summit that's happened over the past decade or more. So whether it be in the church world or whether it be in the business world, people respected Bill Hybels, mainly, um, I think, because he was able to build something big. And whether it be in the business world or in the Christian world, big equals good equals successful. We don't care what you're doing and how you got there. We're just happy that you're big. Um, so again, I'm going to say this for like the fourth time. Uh, I'm really not ripping on Rich here. Um, and so please, <laughs> even Rich, if you, if you find this, I apologize in advance. This really has nothing to do with you. This is really uh, a platform for me to be able to knock American Christianity. Um, and so for those also don't know, Bill Heibel, big dude in the Christian world, then the Me Too movement, 
really began to happen. He was kind of like one of the major Christian components of the Me Too movement, uh, a dude that has been doing sexually creepy stuff from a position of power. He's also a white male, doing the thing that white males do when they have too much power, being creepy and overtly sexual, and then trying to hide it. You know, that thing, that thing. So after, you know, I know the Christian world in many ways, the American Christian world is kind of reeling from the loss of Bill Hybels and saying, what's going to happen next to Willow Creek? And my answer to that is, who the heck cares? I really honestly don't care. Willow Creek has nothing to do with, with just the true historical American Christianity. And I'm not trying to be those like jerks that are like, they're not true Christians. No, but they're part of the spectacle of American Christianity. I will put that down. And... And sorry, sorry, sorry. Some of that's just me getting stuff off my chest. So let's hop into this. So again, the article, seven questions all pastors need to ask themselves post-Hybels. Or, I mean, you could say this to, to most people that work in large organizations. You know, uh, you could say, what do people need to, all questions CEOs need to ask themselves post-Harvey Weinstein. What do... TV journalists need <laughs> to ask themselves post-Matt Lauer. And so you kind of see where I'm saying. Uh, or what to, yeah, yeah, you get what I'm saying. I could keep going down that list from the Woody Allens to the Cosbys to the, all of those people we love to hate because they're despicable people and did despicable things um, to people because of their positions of power. So, but again, the, I know I keep saying this. The thrust of this article is really centered around speaking towards pastors. And, and, and what I just wish from this article was that, in a certain sense, A, we in the Christian world were able to be absolutely brutally honest, which is the whole idea behind looking yourself in the mirror. So the idea of looking yourself in the mirror really means I'm really trying to analyze myself and figure out the ways I'm essentially uh, a creep and stop doing that. So I think his, in, in a much less eloquent way, this article essentially says, stop being a creepy pastor. You're making Christianity look bad. So within that, I agree. But what I don't like is the way that Christians like to over-Christianize situations like this. And this is what I'm getting at. This is a symptom of larger, of, of the whole Christianese within Christianity, the way that we, we can say things that sound meaningful to Christians, but in actuality, they mean nothing at all. So it's those kind of things that Christians be like, oh yeah, good point. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh amen, amen. Now, what were the seven things? I don't even remember anymore. But I was so busy agreeing with them that I really didn't pay attention to what they were. So let's do this. So we're going to talk through here. Re, or this is going to be Stuart's ways why pastors or how pastors can no longer be a-holes is essentially Stuart's way. So number one on this list, not mine, but I will reformat these. As a pastor, am I living the truth? Are there areas in my life where I'm not living with integrity? Number two, do I have friendships that can help me face my dark side? Number three, am I submitting myself to authority willingly, joyfully, and transparently? Number four, what are the limits, time, energy, power, money that I'm currently violating? As a power, uh, sorry, as a pastor, where do I feel entitled? Number six, do I have seasons 
of therapy to grow in self-awareness? And number seven, if married, does my spouse have space to share with the leadership of our church how things are truly at home? Now, these are all those kind of things. It's almost like philosophical Christianese that's going on here. And I'll unpack these. So as a pastor, am I living the truth? Are there areas of my life where I'm not living with integrity? Now, really what needs to be said here to most pastors. Okay. If we really want to talk about this word integrity. Okay. I, I, would, I would do this. And I have done consulting with churches before, though it's typically very short-lived because I tell them the things they don't want to hear and they don't want to hear them. Weird. It does happen that way. And then they just say, oh, that was very nice. Thank you. Move along. Um, so when we begin to talk about the, the position of pastor in, in the local church and integrity. So my question would be, not am I living the truth? What does that even mean? Am I living the truth? I don't know. Does anybody really know if they're living the truth? And what they're meaning here is, are you living the truth of Jesus Christ? Is Jesus living in you? Are you not sinning? No, no, no. no. Here's my main question. If I was going to sit down with pastors and say, how do we avoid a Hybels type situation? Here's what you do. Here's Stewart's rules of all of this to get past all of the BS. Because this list, while good intentioned, will absolutely do nothing. And I've seen tons of pastor friends of mine like sharing this and passing this around, being like, oh, these are good words. These are good words. My congregation, if they see me posting this, they're going to feel good that I'm not going to molest them or do something horrible to children, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No, my advice for pastors is this. First of all, how do you view your church? Do you view your church as a stepping stone for your career? Or do you see this as a community of people that, that you are on the same level as? Community of people that you want to walk amongst, be part of. Because really one of like the main axioms of, of, of leadership is that a leader must be willing to go where he's calling his people to go. So if we're talking to ourselves about living with full integrity, my question for pastors are, do you actually love your congregation? You actually like really care for your people and not in the BS. Oh, I love them because Jesus loved. No, no, no. Honestly, like honestly in your life, uh, are you leading your church in a way that shows you're on their level and that you honestly care for their problems? Because most pastors I know try to avoid the problems of the congregation. That's why you hire people to run the children's ministry, the youth ministry, and other people really just to kind of hide you from dealing with the ickiness of community because again, when you're dealing with people, it gets messy. So when we begin to talk about integrity, my first question of integrity to the church is, are these people merely scaffolding to build your building? I use that term scaffolding very clearly because I remember this several years back, I'm sitting in a seminar that a certain denomination had sent me to go sit down in, uh, flew me there, paid for my hotel because they wanted me to be able to plant a church. And I remember listening to the speaker who had planted many successful churches. And he goes out to tell us, just remember, the people that you start out with are essentially just scaffolding. You're using them to help build the church for other people. Because those scaffolding, those people will just kind of come and go. Um, I remember hearing that. And I remember that was within like the first mm, probably two hours of like a three-day seminar. I'm already, when you sit me down in front of a Christian speaker, I'm already like on the verge of checking out before the guy even starts talking. So again, I realize I'm a hard audience. 
but that was the moment two hours in where I officially just friggin checked out. Once I heard this idea of let's build the church and there's people that are inconsequential to the building of the church, but you're going to need them. And the problem with that is I think when you begin to look at how churches are cultivated and brought about in many ways, people just want a successful church. Now, what does that mean to be successful? Well, it means to have a building. It means to have a certain size. It means to have so much money coming in and it means you have so much staff. Again, all of this that I'm mentioning, when we're talking about why are we having issues with Christian leaders in America having issues with integrity? Why, are, why, are, why is this an ongoing problem? <laughs> well, it starts in the structure. It starts in how you've set the whole thing up. You have a pastor sitting on high. You have the congregation down below. And never shall the two meet, really. We want to make it look like it meets. We'll have the pastor greet you after the service. We'll have him available between times for this, but he's not really one of you. And guess what? He really doesn't see you as an equal. And that is a problem. So first, if you begin to start seeing your congregations as scaffolding, you're not doing the work of Jesus. If you start to see yourself as set apart, better off, higher up than the rest of your congregation, you're not doing the work of Jesus. Now, number two on his list that I'll begin to unpack in a, in, in a lot of a quicker manner, do I have friends that help me face my dark side? Essentially, going back to this realm, are you a jerk? Do you actually have friends? Do you have people that honestly want to be around you, not because they want to suckle the teat of the pastor? No, do you have people that actually like you that you can speak honestly with? That's honestly what he's trying to say here. Sad thing is, pastors learn a lot of double talk. And there is many easy ways for people to dance around that. Number three, am I submitting myself to authority willingly, joyfully, and transparently? Does anybody want to submit themselves to authority willingly, joyfully, and transparently? I mean, unless we're in some sort of a weird <laughs> sub and dom situation, we're living out like the lifestyle of Fifty Shades of Grey. I don't know if this is going to be one for most people. And even when we say these words, what does that even mean? What does it even mean for me to submit myself to authority? Usually that's speak in churches. When people tell you to submit to authority, that is speak. That's like coded speak for just live with the abuse that you're getting here. Just deal with it. Just submit yourself to authority. The abuse, it's all part of the process. It shouldn't be, but that's how it happens. And the biggest problem within all of this list and we're going to go through the rest. I mean, just the rest of these. Are there limits on my time? Uh, do, where do I feel entitled as a pastor? Do I have seasons of therapy for self-awareness? If I'm married, does my spouse have space? Blah, 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 blah. Um, the biggest problem with all of this is that most pastors, or a lot of pastors, especially those that are running megachurches, I'm going to tell you, they're narcissists. They are absolute narcissists. Let that sink in for a bit. A large population of the Christian pastors in America are narcissists. Now, I did not say all, but I did say a lot of them. And so when you're <laughs> writing something for people to ask themselves about, to do some internal searching, the problem is this. You're writing an article to a bunch of narcissists. Narcissists are not known for self-reflection. Narcissists are not known for being able to see the way the world really is. They just see the world through what they want 
and how the, what the, their own world can give them what they want. It's a sick problem. It's a sick system. So answering and going through these questions in this kind of a manner are really just an exercise in futility. But again, like I said before, one, I have no issue with the guy that wrote this. Two, exercises in futility are things that church staffs love across America. Pastors love to put them into these situations, and people like to try to find meaning out of things while actually just dodging them. Like, think of this in a certain sense. Like, this whole exercise is really kind of like those moronic icebreakers people put you through um, when you have company, like, away days where you're going to do some sort of a training. Churches do the same thing. They're just worse. And they're all terrible and a waste of time. So when we begin to do this, all this kind of language does, and the reason I'm even mentioning this, and I know it's, it's, I'm, I'm on the verge of rambling through this, but what, what I'm getting at here is that this is language that only speaks to the masses, and it's never going to speak towards any kind of change. People like being able to nod their heads at stuff that make them feel good. Oh, man, yeah, our pastor shared this. Oh, he must be doing these things. Yay, he's not a creepo like Bill Hybels. And so this is one of the problems with the American church. And we're going to get more into this, <laughs> why the American church is dying. But one of the main problems is the way that we have set up the church, is the way that we have set up pastors, is the way that we have put pastors on a pedestal and told them that they are essentially gods. Now, Christians would, oh, my pastor's not a god. I would never say that. But I do go and listen to him and hang on his every word every Sunday. And I do whatever he tells me to do. Leader, God figure, eh, it's kind of a little like, like dancing into icky grounds. It is really icky. And one of the problems that I'm using this to set up our next article, because it's only going to get ickier. Hopefully before it gets better. So we're going to talk next about Harry Thomas. Most of you that read the news, Harry Thomas, what? Meghan Markle's father? No, 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 no. I'm going to talk about a different creep named Harry Thomas. Uh, yes, Harry Thomas, who's a New Jersey pastor and was the founder of anyone, anyone? Who's Harry the founder of? The Creation Festival. The Creation Festival, which has been billed, labeled, dubbed as the largest Christian rock festival in the United States. So this guy, this guy, this guy. What about Harry Thomas? Oh, oh, oh. And this article comes from consequenceofsound.com. The founder of America's largest Christian rock festival gets 18 years for child molestation. That's right. That's right. Founder and pastor Harry Thomas has been kind of just pulling a Roy Moore. Really. He's been sentenced to 18 years in prison for sexually abusing four minors and having mm, inappropriate interactions with another minor. Sounds like good work of the Lord. Like, I remember this. I remember this when I moved out west where everyone's like, oh, you've got to go to Creation Festival. It is the time that will spiritually define you. Now, 
Mary Thomas is also the pastor of Come Alive Church in Medford, New Jersey. And Mary Thomas is now going away for 18 years. And Christian leaders will say, oh, well, just Harry Thomas failed. But look at the work God has done through him. Look at the work that God has done through him. This, this ability that we are able to almost worship events that happen. The creation festival. I, I swear to you, I've heard this from Christian leaders and pastors, students and congregants that like, oh, my faith is renewed every year. But now if you think about it, oh, my faith was renewed Diet festival founded a child molester kind of takes a little bit of the shine off, adds a little stink to it. Actually, adds a hell of a lot of stink to it. And I feel horrible for those. I mean, I can sit here and rip on, <laughs> I can sit here and rip on him and make light of him and make light of Christianity, but I'm not making light of the fact that he messed up four people's lives, four people's lives, and he did it being a pastor. Bill Hybels is sick. Mary Thomas is sick. And within all of this, within all of this, Christianity needs to take an honest look at itself in America and say, where are we going? What are we trying to create? What are we honestly trying to do? Because I think that's the question that, that very few Christian leaders want to ask. Because all we really care about is bigger and better. We don't really even care about who gets us there as long as he or she gives us bigger or better. Hopefully bigger and better. Because that seems way more Jesus-y, way more God-ordained. So speaking of big and better, and in thankfully the vein that we're getting away from weird pervs and child molesters, and probably the worst segue ever in the history of humanity, I give you Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie, who I will add again, is not, as far as I know, not a child molester and not a creepy dude that is cheesing on his staff trying to give them creepy massages. So I'll just say that. I'll say my better segue should have been, I give you Greg Laurie a guy that cares about bigger and better when it comes to Christianity. And boy, will he whine when he doesn't get his way. So for those of you who are not familiar with Greg Laurie, he's a pastor and he's one of the people that's behind doing the, uh, what they call the SoCal Southern California Harvest Festival. And that is a large evangelistic event that happens in Angel Stadium in Anaheim, California. It happens every year. There's other harvest festivals, I believe, across the country. And again, I'm not even getting into this style of clickbait evangelism that they kind of go into, this kind of a uh, bait-and-switch version of it, that as long as you run down, pray a prayer really quick, we're good. Yay! More people in heaven. Jesus is glorified. I'm sorry, what was your name? I don't really care because we're just going to move on because we really just care about numbers. That, Greg Laurie? Um, yeah. Now, again, even though I gave you a tiny diatribe, uh, let Greg Laurie and the Harvest Festival continue on. They do their thing at Angel Stadium every year. They've done it for, I think it's like almost 30 years. Um, 
And again, to each his own. I wouldn't go to that event. Not recommending you go to that event, but lots of people go to that event. My issue with Greg Laurie is the fact that now he's whining about this event. He's turning this event into some sort of a persecution machine. Now, why would he say that? Well, well, well. Well, it comes into advertising. So for this event, Lori and the Harvest Crusade Festival um, put up a lot of money, especially in the Southern California region. And they were displaying billboards at many different locations across like Orange County. But when they began to put billboards up, not billboards or just large advertisements up in a local mall, the mall itself began to get complaints. And the mall actually had said they didn't get just any complaint. They actually got serious threats against the mall. And what any good business would do, they said, hey, can we change the graphics? They changed the graphics and said, nope, that's still going to be too much of an issue for us to be able to put your billboards all over our public mall. Now, did the company did that owns the mall? Did that company give Lori and his crusade back their money? Well, yes, they did. But that wasn't enough for Lori. So Lori's got to go into places like Fox News and other places to be able to complain that this is religious discrimination. They don't like seeing a man holding a black book or a Bible. And that's the problem. We're being discriminated against. Don't believe me? Listen to him here. Is this a sign of the times of faith being under fire? Greg Laurie, you know him, pastor of the Harvest Christian Fellowship and author of Jesus Revolution, joins us now. Pastor, thanks for being with us. Ainsley, thanks for having me on. You're welcome. So what? It, tell us the story. How did all this unfold? Well, basically, uh, we hold an event at the Angel Stadium in Southern California. It's been going for 29 years. It's called the SoCal Harvest. I've been told it's the longest-running, large-scale evangelistic event in American history. And, you know, like, basically what it is, take what Billy Graham did, and we, we're doing a modern version of it, if you will. And so we proclaim the gospel, and we take out ads uh, on billboards and posters and bumper stickers and such. So this year we decided to do a more overt image, and so it's a photo of me holding a Bible. And, uh, and so... You know, now you can't tell it's a Bible. I'm not hiding the fact that it's a Bible, but if you're real technical, I'm literally holding a black book up. And since it's a black and white photo, it could have been a blue book, a yellow book. It could have been a book about butterflies. Yes, because most people would assume that you're trying to push butterfly theology down your throats in really big banners as they shop through a mall. This is a problem about a man holding a book. No, it's not, Greg Laurie. Stop being an idiot and stop acting like a martyr in this. Again, this is a business decision. This is a business decision. Like, think of yourself. If you're at the mall and you're getting complaints because of things that you're doing uh, advertising-wise for other people, what would you naturally do? Say, hey, we have a mall. We want people to be in it. We want the businesses in the mall to make money so they can give us money. If advertisements are pissing off the people that are in the mall, then we're going to take them down and refund you the money. So what's the problem here? Oh, it's all turned... No, wait. Greg, 
I thought you already had a harvest crusade. You've turned this into a martyr crusade by taking this on Fox News. Again, what is all of this about? Why is Greg on Fox News talking about how persecuted he is? He's getting on there because this is advertising. He had one form of advertising shut down, so he's got to go and over-spiritualize it and turn it into another form of advertising for his event? What? What? I see what you did there, Greg Laurie. But really, when we treat our churches like they're businesses, then act like a business. Don't act like a spiritual martyr in this situation. You have a business. You're selling tickets. You're renting out a stadium. I know you say you're doing this for the glory of God. But you're also trying to fill seats to continue to justify doing this event year in and year out that probably attracts the same people year in and year out. And again, my beef is not with Greg Laurie. It's about the system that he's operating within. Uh, as we mentioned last week about the like religious task force uh, that Sessions and Trump are doing, this is just a marketing ploy. And the fact that Christianity has boiled itself down to advertising and marketing, and Christian leaders are now whining about it in the public sphere, again, reminds us, what are we doing? Why are we doing this again? Oh, wait. Could this be another story of white privilege in America? Maybe it's Christian white privilege happening, and we're not happy about it. We want to be able to be offensive wherever we want to, whenever we want to, because this country was founded by Christians, so we're allowed to be offensive Christians whenever the hell we want. Am I right? No, I'm not. That's awful, that's disgusting, and I say all of these things. I'm even just scratching at the surface of kind of what's wrong with American Christianity. We do this on a regular basis here at Snarky Faith, but I do this to lead us to our last article that we're going to talk about. And this last one comes from Daniel Burke from Fake News CNN. I'm joking. Uh, Daniel Burke wrote an article called 10 Reasons Americans go to church and nine reasons they don't. And, and I think that this is actually something interesting for us, for those in the spiritual realm, to kind of be able to hold and wrestle through just a little bit with, okay? Um, he begins the article like this, which I think is very fitting. If, the Ameri if American religion were traded at a stock exchange, your broker might be advising you to sell. The trend lines don't look great, and haven't for quite some time. Social scientists and religious leaders have lots of theories about how long slow slide, how long the slow slide, blaming it on everything from the internet to the politicalization of conservative Christianity. Well, I will give you the politicalization of conservative Christianity. I'll give you that one. Let's actually get to data. Um, the article continues saying a new Pew Research Center study offers some different something a little different. A survey of about 4, 5,000 Americans tells us precisely why they do and don't attend religious services. Now, I'm going to go through this list, and a lot of this probably shouldn't be like, shocker, but I think it's going to begin to tell us about, well, it's going to tell us two things. 
on the surface, it's going to tell us why people do or don't go to church. But I think it's actually going to speak to a larger issue of why is the church in America messed up? And I'll explain that more in a minute. But let's just go ahead and hit the list. Um, So these are the reasons why people do attend religious services. Number one, 81% to become closer to God. Number two, so their children will have a moral foundation, 69%. Number three, uh, to become a better person, 68%. Number four, to com- uh, for comfort in times of trouble and sorrow, 66%. Number five, they find the sermons valuable, 59%. Not a great number for you pastors out there. Only 60% find your sermons valuable? And most people aren't even really that honest on surveys. I'll leave that there. Number six, to be part of faith community. Number seven, to continue their family's religious traditions. Number eight, they feel obligated to go. That's 31%. Uh, Number nine, to meet more people who socialize. 19%. Because, you know, churches are the new meat markets for the singles. That was sarcasm, if you missed that. And number 10, to please their family, spouse, or partner. 16%, which is somehow different than feeling obligated to. Um, and so all of those, when we begin to see that, I mean, a lot of this is pretty on the nose. Become closer to God, that's honest, so we can make sure our children are religious or Christian-y to become a better person, comfort in times of, of sorrow, blah, 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 blah. I mean, so we, we see that, we see that. And But the weird thing about it, and again, I'm not, this is not even against Pew Research, but it's interesting that we're almost, we're treating church like a commodity. We're treating church like which fast food burger joint would you rather go to? Why do you go to this one? Why do you continue to go to this one? We're treating it like it's a commodity, which is really fascinating. And we'll talk about that hopefully just a little bit more. But also, um, I wanted to hop into why do people not, not go to religious services? So the top nine were these. Number one, They practice their faith in, quote, other ways, 37%. Number two, they are not believers, 28%. Number three, no no reason is very important. They have no reason to go to church, 26%. Uh, Four, they haven't found a house of worship they like, 23%. They're out shopping. Uh, Number five, they don't like the sermons, 18%. Number six, this should be something that I would actually think is honestly higher. Um... They don't feel welcome. That's 14%. And that's something that should scare churches. Um, But I think actually a lot of them kind of get off on it. That was number six. Number seven, they don't have the time. Number eight, poor health or mobility. And number nine, no house of worship in their area. Um, But as I'd hinted on before, when we take surveys like this, what fascinates me is that, one, the way Pew Research is even dealing with this, and the way people are answering this are the same reasons that they leave comments on <laughs> on Amazon for products they've made. It really feels a lot like this. Well, this Christian product that we have, this is why I like it. But this particular Christian product, I don't like it too much. And and it's really weird. It's really really weird that ultimately in America And again, this is one of my major issues that I'm having with American Christianity is the fact that Christianity has become a product. It's become a product that we're pulling about. 
How do you feel about this? Do you like the sermons? Do you like the music? Do you like the, you know, do you like this? Do you feel welcome? Do you not feel welcome? How much do you give every month? Do you give every week? Do you give once a month? What do you do? And and so we've boiled down like this mystical spiritual experience of following after Jesus into very marketable terms. And in many ways, I don't know, it makes me kind of feel weird and dirty to think about faith as a commodity. And it should make us feel weird about it because that's just what we've done here in America. That's exactly what we've done. You see, I've said all of this to give you something that I've learned. Now, mind you, when I say that I've learned this, doesn't mean (laughs) that this may be your story. This may not mean this even applies to you or you even agree with me. You don't. This is part of my story and you can't take it from me. But I say all of this today to say something a little bit radical. I've come to the conclusion through my limited perspective of being in different systems of different denominations, going to to and through seminary and having many friends that are many leaders in different denominations across America. And this is going to be a hard pill for the American church to swallow what I'm going to say. But it's one of those pills that they'll say, oh, that's so cute and delightful. Pat me on the head and tell me I'm fired. I'm okay with that. I have come to grips with this over time and banging my head against the door. So here's what I'll tell you. I honestly believe in most situations that the way that we have even set up the church in America is a problem. Like even from like square one, there is a problem. Because when churches begin to see their leaders as superstars or superstars to be or godlike figures or idols or heroes or all this other kind of stuff, when we do this, when we kind of get into this, this, this arena of celebrity worship or hero worship, we're not really doing the work of Jesus anymore. Like, it's done. So if the church is really just set up to be an organization that continues to make money and continues to survive and pay the bills and also has an awesome rock star pastor, depending upon which tier of rock star you're in, there's even like, there's small denominations that have their rock stars. There's mega churches that have their rock stars, but irregardless, you're still on the rock star spectrum. When we set up people like this, they are going to fail. Because what we end up doing is making these types of leaders and these types of pastors into really our own version of Jesus. When we set up our organizations and institutions to be more about money than actually about caring for and being compassionate towards people, we've set ourselves up for failure. When our denominations would rather squabble about tiny little lines of scripture in order to divide us or separate us, we have a problem. And actually, the really the biggest problem of all um, is the fact that our churches are not set up to allow the people within the churches to really carry out 
the work and the message of Jesus on their own. We've set up a system where people are, in a certain sense, almost told, we need our pastors, we need our leaders, or we can't survive. The word of Jesus, the message of Jesus will die if we don't have these glorious men and women who are televangelists or megachurch pastors or senior pastors or lay leaders because they're the people that we need to continue to push the message of Jesus forward? No, 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 no. Let's go back to the the New Testament. You had Jesus with 12 disciples and other followers. 12 disciples were fairly uneducated folk. But Jesus taught them, gave them a simple message, told them, go and spread my word, go and spread my deed. Go show people that God loves them, that God has compassion for them, that God is not angry with them. That God's table is very big and there's still room at it. See, the heart of Christianity is rooted in the fact that it gives power away. It gives power away. We end up like seeing this through the nature of Jesus. Jesus, a person who was a servant leader who was willing to die, who was willing to die and set up that model for us to be people that live sacrificially to do the right thing. Now, all that stuff sounds great ideologically, but I'm telling you, it's not sexy. You don't advertise it. That, that, that doesn't sell books. That's not going to lead Joel Osteen's next book onto the New York Times bestseller list. And that's okay. Because that whole Christian industrial complex doesn't really care about that. They just care about amassing power. And yes, if you've noted in many ways in our show today, we haven't talked a ton about politics. Politics, it's a whole other vein where Christianity has sought to continue to wield power or gain power or grapple for power or squabble for power or whatever disgusting things people do for power. And Jesus didn't care about any of that. So if all these Christian leaders seem to care about that, well, we all know that Jesus didn't care about that. If our churches are set up in a way where they inherently act greedy, saying, give me people, give me money, give me, give me, give me. Does that sound like a church that Jesus would set up? Or does it sound like another business that advertises and works like every other business does? Churches have become businesses, most of them not very successful businesses. Our pastors are trying to be CEOs. Some are better at it than others. And so if you wanted a capitalistic, materialistic church, America, you got it. You did it. You won. The, you won. Yay. Way to go, America. We're number. Wait, we're not one. Number, uh, what, what are we number one about anymore? I don't know. Um, I don't even care to answer that. The pastors don't look like Jesus. The church doesn't look like the church that Jesus set up. And all of that is more than a little bit effed up. But when we read articles about why the church in America is dying, we want to look towards other stuff. Maybe our pastors are having integrity issues. 
Maybe if we can get our pastors to stop touching, people will be fine. If only they'll let us advertise the way we want to advertise, then we can do this. Oh, if the government wasn't persecuting us. Thanks, Jeff Sessions. You at least started a, a religious liberty task force. I feel better as a Christian. So all I'm saying, I'm babbling through this, is that Christianity is caught up in the wrong thing. Christianity is obsessed with the wrong thing, which also would tell you that Christianity in America continues to go in the wrong direction and will continue to write little fluffy articles making ourselves within the church feel good about ourselves, pat ourselves on the back. At least we're not like them. But when we look at all these people, the Bill Hybels and the rest of the creepers and the Christian spectrum. When we continue to be complacent and act like scaffolding, my question is, are you just as bad as they are if you continue to allow it to happen? And is any of this God-glorifying? Is any of this what Jesus intended? My simple answer would be an emphatic, hell no, it's not. But this is not the church that we were promised. But this is the church that we deserve. And unless Christianity becomes something that begins to care about the humans that surround us, the earth that we live in, we're missing a major mark of who God is and what God called us to be. Other than that, Christianity is simply just kind of feels like a multi-marketing scheme like Amway. You've just got to get people in it. You got to get people in. You got to make sales because that's how a lot of people see evangelism too. The church can be fixed. The church can be fixed very easily in America. But the bigger question is, does the church actually want to be fixed? And I think that is actually a larger, sadder question. But as we end this broadcast, just a reminder that you can catch us on podcasts at www.snarkyfaith.com. Also, if you want to call in, because most likely you'll end up on the air, our snarky hotline is 919-525-1570. Call in and leave a message. You can call me a heretic. You can call me an idiot. Call me all sorts of things. I honestly don't mind it. Or you can talk about good stuff. Talk about the good stuff that's going on in your life, the things that you do like that is happening, or the things that Jesus is actually doing in your life. We can celebrate those things too. Or if you just want to call in and ask questions, I love that as well. So you can always contact us on the Snarky Hotline, 919-525-1570, and leave a message. Or you can email me at questions at snarkyfaith.com. Thank you so much for listening this last hour. And... I want to go ahead and send you off as you enter this week with the holiest of snark and grace and peace. I'm out of here. WCOM is listener-supported community radio and snarky faith is only possible through our sponsors. Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question askers, doubters, and skeptics is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all of life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be a better day than today. All are welcome. 
You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com. <laughs>